Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And here we go. (laughs) (laughs) What track is that? Who the fuck knows? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yo, yo. We're going to listen. We're going to get we're going to get right into this. I know we kind of been back and forth with the podcast. We I think I think we only launched one episode since Mike left to Ibiza. Mike is back and I'm back on my grind. And we got something new for the podcast. So we're still going to do what we usually do where we just talk shit. Uh we're going to put we're going to put up those episodes as well. But we're going to do something new every week as well. And we're going to spotlight a DJ. And this week we're going to spotlight Carl Cox. We're going to talk a little bit about his background, the history, uh, tracks he produced, DJs he DJs with, clubs he's done his entire career. We're just gonna we're just gonna touch on little things here and there, and hopefully we get better as we continue to do this. So here we go. Carl Cox. First thing, he's sixty years old. He just turned sixty in June or July, I think, and uh, that's pretty amazing because he has longevity in the game. I think over thirty years. He's been DJing. Not 38 DJing. Years. 38 years? That's crazy. That's well, not even DJing. More. But that's not DJing like little parties here and there. Like he's been D de- like he started as a mobile DJ, but he's been DJing in the club circuit for at least a strong 30 years. Maybe even no, more. But more, more, because he's 60. He started when te- he was uh, when he was a teenager. He DJed his lunch parties with his boys, uh, in, in the UK. But then in his mm-hmm. early twenties, he was DJing as a mobile DJ, right, all around the UK. And then he gained his rapport, or like a household name, like he is now, by twenty seven, twenty eight. And he started this whole thing when he was eight years old. His whole interest into the into the music. Oh yeah, so that yeah, twenty seven, twenty eight into the big clubs. That's more than yeah. That's thirty three years, thirty five years. So then, if you that's think insane. about it, really fifty two years, fifty two years because he was obsessed. Well, DJing with as a whole, yeah, DJing yeah, as a whole, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I'm saying like in club circuit, like real clubs. That's fucking. That's still insane. Most most guys, I don't think they get longer than ten ten years at the top. You know, you have guys that have been at the top for 20, 25 years, 30 years, but that's a small percentage. But Carl Cox is probably the long stand, the longest standing running DJ in the fucking game game. Anyway, he's a house and techno DJ producer from England, dance music pioneer, label owner, and all around nice guy. You know, you hear him on, po- you hear him on other podcasts or interviews, and he just sounds like a great guy. And he's the only DJ in house music. That uses the mic. And I remember I heard a, an episode, an interview with him, and he says that he grew up talking on the mic when he was DJing mobile parties. So that's the reason he continued to talk on the mic, because that's just how he feels. He wants to talk to the crowd. And um, obviously, he doesn't so you- do it like in hip hop, but I like that, that use of the, of the mic, because he gets the crowd hype. As soon as you hear that, oh, yes, oh, yes. The crowds go nuts. The crowd goes nuts already because you know that you know that sound. It's him. Yeah, you but you know what's crazy? When he first started, he was real shy, and he wouldn't actually DJ in front of a crowd. And the old school clubs didn't really make a spectacle out of a DJ back in the day. They would mm-hmm. actually keep put him away in a corner or have like a little window for them just to yeah. keep the crowd right. 
a lot of the house music parties went on in roller discos as well. More prominent mm-hmm. in the U.S. and the U.K. U.K. actually had club clubs, uh, plural. And he would be shy and he would hide. And, you know, basically he used the mic in the beginning talking to the crowd, but really just status update on the night. Like, party's over, right? So <laughs> he ended up upset. Behind the curtains, party's over. And then eventually a yeah. promoter said, like, fuck that. We're not doing that curtain shit no more. You open the curtains. You're not hiding from the from the crowd. Like you got to break break through this like little fear you got. And since then, you know that's all she wrote. He became you know this kind of big persona and and personality behind the booth on the mic. And that's what makes him so special, right? And I think he him and Danny T, Danny Tanaglia, both use the microphone still. Nobody else, unless the end of the party. And it's like I feel like it's kind of like a LeBron and Michael Jordan comparison. Because people always say, who's the best? Who's who's the DJ's DJ? And you can really say that about both of them, right? Because their longevity and their skill set and their kind of with the times kind of uh, approach, right? Because they, they started from, you know, two decks, vinyl, real mixing, real DJing, yeah. analog production, right? Whereas, and long sets, right? Whereas you have now everything's electronic. You have press and play. You have existing, you know, you have pre-recorded sets. You have a press play. You have DJs like Dead Mouse or Martin Garrix that come with a pre-recorded set or the same like copy um, playlist, right? And really, these DJs out of convenience get with the times, but they really do know yeah. how to how to DJ and like they really do know the study of sound, right? Both these guys studied, you know, sound. And like I would say in that argument, just go back to the original point of having. Michael Jordan, you know, kind of LeBron James kind of comparison because people always have this comparison. It's the only analogy I could use really in this instance. Carl Cox hasn't beat in the stardom or the longevity or the rapport scale. The DJ is a whole different debate, the skill set of it, right? But there's some barriers that are broken by both of them, right? On the both sides of the world. Carl Cox, one of the DJs, I won't say the only one that's already using three decks, People come to his parties and be amazed that somebody is DJing with three decks. Danny Tanaglia had his own kind of breakthrough, which came with uh, the music that he played, also breaking barriers with multiple decks. And really what he had over Carl Cox was his marathon sets. Carl Cox mainly, I know he his longest set was, I think, 20-something hours for the space closing, but generally it didn't go past 10 hours. Danny T is known for doing this multiple times at various different venues, Paradise Garage, um, Vinyl, right? So just to kind of do it for a circle, I would have to say Carl Cox really is the DJ's DJ, really is what people want, if, if you're really looking for that, strive for it, to understand the music, have the skills, that have the enthusiasm like him, to really make it like him. He should be the person that you look up to and you think that is really the pinnacle of success and just also a pinnacle as a human being. He's such a great and positive guy. And the both of them are. And it's great to see yeah. that such humble and good dudes get this kind of level of rapport and really are the greatest of all time. And I really can't say which one is which because each brings something to their game. But I think really you could really make the argument that Carl Cox is the greatest of all time, hands down. When it comes to DJing, I don't know if you agree on that, but I really think he's the greatest of all time. No, I, if if all around DJ, I would agree with that. 
And comparing, like if you do a analogous compa- comparison from um, Michael Jordan, LeBron, I would say it would be Carl Cox. And for me personally, uh, Capriati. The reason I say Capriati is because the way he DJs, that's when, when I think of a, a DJ DJ, like mixing, not only mixing tracks, but doing things on the fly and playing with acapellas and, you know, he's not scratching, but it kind of reminds me of a hip hop DJ because he's fast. He's using, you know, hip hop DJs don't use really, don't really use effects, but as a hip hop DJ, you mix fast, you know, you're in and out of songs at most two minutes, you know, a, a, a verse, a chorus, and you're out to the next. Capriati kind of does that when he layers a song with an acapella and then he puts another instrumental on with that same acapella, then changes that instrumental and then throws on another acapella and he's messing with the effects. Like he's really fast with his hands. And I think to me, that's like a DJ DJ because he's actually manipulating the music as opposed to just like what most DJs do. You know, they, they press play, they let the song play, they use some effects, but you know, they're just mixing in songs. And now, you know, they're even doing, the younger guys are doing like quick mixes, like what a DJ does, you know? And this, they don't do those long mixes like a Ricardo Villalobos does or um, Lupiano, you know, Lupiano loops, Lupiano. but you know, that that to me is like DJing, like those long mixes. But um, but anyway, I don't want to get too off, off base. This is a spotlight for Carl motherfucking Cox. So I want to get back to the intro for the King. So he did start as a teenager. He started at 15 years old. That's when he got his first pair of turntables and he started working as a mobile DJs, as a mobile DJ. So I'm guessing he was doing house parties. Not sure if he was doing like weddings or things like that, but you know, mobile DJ doing house parties, let's say. Disco was the first music that captivated him. But by the early eighties, he moved on to playing the same music as other young London DJs. So DJs in London were playing something called Rare Groove and New York Hip Hop and Electro. So that's pretty cool. Hip Hop and Electro? I've never heard of Hip Hop and Electro being played together. But like Carl Cox, he mixes and mashes all different types of genres. That's another great thing about Carl Cox. He He's a DJ DJ because he's genre-less, you know? He plays house, techno, tech house, vocals. He'll play a sleepy like he'll play anything. And I think that's how it should be. Instead of the way it is nowadays, you have like the Paradise, Jamie Jones style, the music on Marco Corolla style. And that's dope. I like that. But I like how Carl Cox plays. And I wish more DJs did that. But I also think it's not easy to do that, to just play a bunch of different genres. And Carl Cox, he's fucking mastered that. Um, his first release, though, was in 1991 under Paul Oakenfold's label. That's crazy. Paul Oakenfold. That's a fucking legend, legend, legend that you don't hear about anymore. The label is called Perfecto and the single was called I Want You. So we got to put that on the fucking playlist. That's the first song that got to go on the playlist is I Want You. Um, And then he actually had, which I didn't know this when I was doing my due diligence with Carl Cox, he had a, uh, like a DJ management. It was called Ultimate Music Management. I never knew that until I saw it doing my research. Uh, in 1999, he founded Intact, the label, shut down in 2006, but because he had so much music being sent to him, he relaunched it in 2010 as Intact Digital. And we all know how that went. Super successful. He's a legend in Ibiza. 
space for 15 years. And, you know, he closed it down as well. Um, he's also had, he's also does Carl Cox, Carl Cox in French for 12 years. I believe that's, they don't do that anymore, but now he has his pure party. And I think that's been going on like five, seven years already. And it's built on the idea of taking things back to basics, which is crazy that, that, um, that's what the pure party is about because that's what Aubrey's about taking things back to the basics. So Carl put the music first, first and foremost, no nonsense, no frills, techno parties. And it's been growing year over year. Um, with it, with, uh, I think, Two years ago, the pure the pure event, the last pure event he threw was the biggest to date. So I guess that was maybe like pre COVID. Uh, so yeah, that's um, that's just a brief introduction and in history about about Carl Cox. And I, I really had a good time when I was doing my research, learning more about him. Uh, but I know you just saw the the documentary. I saw the documentary as well, and I think that was an amazing documentary. So I guess if you want to just talk about the documentary you saw or tell us a story of a time you heard him DJing. I have a story. We were all together, but it wasn't that crazy of a night. But if, you know, I think if you have any other better stories that, you know, maybe you heard him on, on the island, whatever you want to say, hands up to you. Yeah, yeah no, for sure. I mean, like I just uh, sentiment, you know, I really do think he's a DJ DJ and just seeing where he came from and where he is now, right? You can't really forget, like, as though as a purist as he is with the sound and one of the people who really stuck with that kind of mantra of really mixing and understanding the music and understanding the crowd and also maintaining a mic game to this day, which is absolutely something obsolete. There's no mic game whatsoever in the, in the house music scene. He also got with the times with DJ equipment technologically, right? He DJed with, of course, vinyl old school mixers, uh, very much analog. As times progressed, they introduced things like tractor, digital DJing, right? Making things a bit more convenient. Of course, he went on through the rite of passage of CDJs. And then uh, from 2010 to 20, uh, to 2020-ish, he really was, you know, going through so many different phases um, of types of setups that he had, which is important to really keep in mind as to really why I think he's the greatest of all time. He went from having tractor, and using, you know, um, the controllers, the X1. Uh, I think the other one is the F2, where you could do live samples into it. You could do loops. You could really, uh, you could do a whole bunch of things with it. And, of course, uh, a Pioneer mixer, right? He always stuck with Pioneer. But I think that's because he had a partnership. But he always pushed the boundaries with technology to really get as creative as he can with his sets, right? A lot of people don't do that. Or they really don't. They stick to what they know. DJ and they don't switch it up, but he really is always pushing the boundaries. Even looking back in the day, using three decks, that really just shows who he is in terms of the music, right? Outside of the music, he's one of the nicest guys, so it seems. And within the music, he's one of the biggest, you know, forward thinkers, forward pushers. From the tractor setup, he started using a whole bunch of um, Pioneer equipment that helped you use live samples, that helped you use stems and create tracks as you go. Um, what else did he do? I mean, eventually he went back to basics, which is now the CDJ 3000s with the new DJM 10, the newest Pioneer mixer, uh, and uh, an RMX 1000, right? That's kind of back to basics in current times. And he's not going to be dragging around, you know, vinyls throughout the, the entire world as he does. 
No, so I think it's really important to keep like that in mind to see how we change. A lot of DJs have not done that, or at least I haven't seen, but really a lot of DJs use the tractor a lot through the 2010s, if you want to call it that. Everybody switched back to kind of the purest forms now, but he always pushed that boundary. You know, I think he tried it and tried everything uh, when it, when it came to the music, right? It never really broke uh, kind of the mantra and his approach, um, you know, within that world. But, Going back to kind of uh, my experiences with him, I've seen him many times since I really, I mean, I've been to the music my entire life, hands down. But my one of my first festivals was actually with Carl Cox at EDC 2012. When I saw him with him, uh, he opened up for Danny. So it was Nicole Dabber, Cassie, uh, John Digweed, Carl, Co- uh, Danny, Carl Cox, and then Danny T. And this was around the time when Danny T was uh, saying that he's retiring because he like lost his laptop. He had a horrible mm-hmm. tour. He's saying, I'm retiring. I'm fed up with this shit. And people were kind of like, you know, misinterpreted it. Like if you really read his message on Facebook, he was just saying, I need a break, you know, and like to people, it's appalling to want a break as a DJ. How could you not share the music? We love you, blah, blah, blah. You know, you have the best job mm-hmm. in the world. And, you know, he took the break and then it was like, I saw him DJ and I really, oh, and John Rundle was there too which is uh, one of his co-label oh, heads on Intech Digital. Um, so he also DJed um, at EDC. But really, it was my first time ever seeing him live. And I've watched his YouTube videos from Ibiza, heard the histories of uh, you know uh, Space Ibiza, and it really blew me away. Like, Danny T really brought me to fall in love with like, DJing and music and everything. But seeing Carl Cox just blew me away. And that energy I saw in 2012, which is... 10 years ago exactly is same as it is now when I seen him mm-hmm. recently for the heart and soul party, going back to back with Danny Tanaglia, another legendary party for New York city um, for them, you know, and it's, you know, it's a, obviously a common theme for these suits to play together, right? Mm-hmm. New York mm-hmm. city. Uh, they had the Twilo, which is one of the most legendary events in the city. Those, those posters, the, the night is still very much, you know, embedded in the club goers minds you know more veteran ones because this is you know i think it was at the tunnel or limelight limelight it was at mm-hmm. during one of those uh presidential holidays so for me it's always been a pot i've seen him in the biza and it never changes right you see djs that give you shitty sets you're like oh i hated him there or i hate how he dj'd or i hate when he uses when he used tractor i like when he did the cdjs or oh he played techno that sucks like <laughs> consistency is really key and like, never ever have I been disappointed. It's been the same thing. I saw him in Pyramid and Ibiza, which is kind of the most overhyped club that's that's within you know Ibiza. It's so big. It's more of like a festival. Still blown away. Played with other DJs, more on the techno side, or more with uh, I guess a different sort of tech house or deeper house like Masio Plex, mm-hmm. uh, Adam Bayer. Still his his own self. So honestly, even the Governor's Island party, right? It's just a very high energy, great set with a mix of many different genres. Kind of just goes to, goes to show his history of mixing so many different genres that he had historically. But yeah, I mean, for me, the best night I ever had with him must have been the back-to-back with Danny T uh, that I saw at Brooklyn Mirage. Uh, I think it was last year. Like right after COVID, we started touring again, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That blew and blew me away. Seeing them back to, go back-to-back is like something so mind-blowing. So I was a huge fan of them equally. I think obviously I'm a little bit more biased being a Danny T fan a bit more than him, 
but I still think he's the greatest of all time when it came to that. I just remember we saw him too at a BPM, the jungle. Remember? Yeah, we saw him at the jungle as well, which is also sick. Seeing Carl Cox in the jungle, like, mm-hmm. imagine what experiences this guy had in his life. Like, just thinking back, like, we think back on the party. I know. Right? <laughs> but he just thinks yeah. back on party upon party upon party upon party. And, like, Crazy. I don't know the guy personally, so I can't say, oh, he w- didn't do all the negative things the scene does. I'm sure he messed around with shit, you know, but he never heard know. a story. He of said, I think he said never, never did, never did. Yeah, if you love the music that much, but I'm just yeah. saying, like, how much does he remember? Because there's been so many of them. A lot of DJs so won't parties. remember because, you know, they either got too drunk or did other shit or they just kind of, their mind was somewhere else. You don't remember it. Remember it. I think whenever I see him in an interview, whenever he speaks, he always knows everything, how it happened. Even when he was younger, mm-hmm. he'll explain to you how yeah. things were going intricately, intricate details. Uh, but those are probably his best memories. That's why he remembers them so clearly. <laughs> That's true too. I think you know what was weird. The twenty tens to twenty twenties, or until the pandemic, where twenty twenty ten to twenty sixteen was a hard time for DJs in in the in the house music scene with exposure of EDM. EDM, yeah, EDM. A lot of DJs struggled to keep their relevancy because uh, really the scene that Carl Cox was in was still considered underground. To this day, mm-hmm. that term kind of died a little bit. Or I would even say it's dead. But a lot of them struggled not, you know, keeping up with the fame. I don't think he ever had that problem. A lot of different DJs started shifting, no. uh, started shifting over to, to EDM or lost themselves in well, the EDM was, and started playing very different. Getting... But he never, he never did. Yeah, he was still getting booked at festivals. Like, you know, the major EDM festivals, he was still getting booked at, like, the techno stage but he, like still he still brings thing. he still brings it will still be edm people but he will still play his own yeah. self and people still enjoy yeah. it so you That's gotta right. think about that, he, that that that, 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 that. Like, it's a brand already carl cox everyone like, wants to see him how, how lucid he is that he could go, break those barriers you know because they were so strictly drawn back then this is EDM, which EDM really became just a general phrase for the all the music, electronic dance music, and like there were really hard lines in, in the genres, you know, and then the fame of the DJs, right? And then that died. It really, as quickly as it went up, it crashed. And those, what lived on was actually, you know, let's just say the techno scene, tech house, etc. That mm-hmm. continued to live on. That's what had its biggest longevity, you know, historically. This has been going on since the early, you know, early eighties, mid eighties explosion in the 90s right with the fall of communism with this freedom like the change in the youth like the documentary mentioned mm-hmm. the change yeah. in the youth with the the expression people start expressing themselves like you're a, a lot of eastern europe wasn't having that i think the fall of the berlin the berlin wall changed a lot for a lot of djs a lot of veteran djs if you will uh because the accepted uh, how accepted that music was right uh in that area and like the most free i guess kind of culture is really german culture to really allow like these kind of uh, i wouldn't say hedonistic but they really had the most <laughs> outrageous like parties you know back in the day of yeah. the street parades etc which is noted in a documentary about him i mean I- i've watched plenty about documentaries of him and i've derived my own information from the, the from the from my own research but mm-hmm. 
the documentary just brings a little nice perspective into like the A to Z and the quick synopsis just to see, you know, what he's about. But I really think, you know, it was, it was interesting just to see he brought his family members in. That was nice. Um, you know, the story about his father Ooh, was sad. His sister. You know, his sister, you know, but they're, they're supportive of him. They're so supportive of him. And like, you know, yeah. the father wasn't so much and, you know, things like that. You know, they, 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 they happen, you know, and it kind of sucks. He's such a nice guy and he never stopped, you know, he never stopped. And I think, yeah. you know, what's crazy when space was ending, people were really thinking he's going to pull like a Danny T move. Like he's going to take a break. He's going to stop. This guy hasn't stopped at all. I think the guy was a little sad, mm -hmm. but he really hasn't stopped at all. And like, you know, at his age, touring all the time, obviously he has the resources, right? He comes with a big brand. He comes well, he made he brings big money. Ninety six million in two thousand twenty one. That's insane. Yeah. Man. So if you're sixty, you're not quitting. It doesn't matter how much you love it or you hate it. You still you you still you're making a hundred mil a year. And plus, he has a car obsession, and like cars are expensive. You know what I mean? Especially in Australia, no. you don't have a shit ton of availability there to whatever you'd like. You got to ship all that, that was stuff. Post to the island. And that was. That was post-pandemic, but the pandemic wasn't really over, over yet. And he still made $96 million. I wonder, that really makes me wonder, if, how much do you charge a gig? 500K a million? So it has to be 52 Probably, weeks yeah. out of the year, two gigs a, a weekend or some festival gigs. I think about it. Uh, they had um, WMC or Miami Music Week last year. He hosts the mega stage for them. Yeah, that he, must be a quick two million. That's probably mega money for him. Mega money, you know, and just mm -hmm. speaking on that, right? Because who DJed at the mega stage? Uh, that's what they call it. Baby, Joseph Capriati. Before you were saying in terms of the greatest of all time in comparison, right? About like between Danny T or um, Capriati. Like Capriati, you can't really put him in the greatest of all time. He has not been there all time. You know what I mean? He's not the second half of the word. He is really yeah, but, but, a baby. Wait, 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 wait. Great. Hold on, hold on. I, I, they had this um, argument in basketball too. Is that oh, it's too too early to say greatest of all time? But if if you're great, you're great, man. Like if you're great, you're but, I'm talking skills but, wise. But but that great doesn't that have to do. But there's no argument, stats. There aren't any stats. In, in, that arm. Like, that argument is that is the argument is dead now because LeBron. On the, just a comparison on the Lakers is a complete flop, and he's been a flop for years. And MJ till the end yeah. was not a flop. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let me let me yeah, put but, it this but, way. You, but hold but on, also, hold on. the way you spoke about you, the way you spoke about him DJing, he doesn't DJ like that anymore. You got to look into it. He does not DJ that kind of quick, like snazzy, crazy. You know, uh, yeah, I know. no more. The like, does not DJ like that anymore. He really plays very different. He plays very much slower, so you can't give him the go side. I'm talking about mm -hmm. two. Heavy hitters historically, who's been through it all, had similar backgrounds from different parts of the world, who are the DJs, DJs who produce some of the best music, who, for, who really drove the culture forward to where it is now. Now, all I want to say is, yes, Capriati. Well, in the Danny argument, T only drove the culture in New York City. No, worldwide. Look him up in Ibiza. <laughs> look him up in. Look him up in the states. Look him up in in Europe. Look it up in, in Italy. Look him up. How popular no, yeah, he was in he, Japan and in, in Singapore, like in the, the, his fame now is a little bit different. He took his aging very badly. Like Carl Koss kept living on. It's not even about the money aspect either. How much you make it, but to no, give some to give some credit to your argument, who taught Capriati, Carl Cox and Danny T. 
like he has, he's influenced. He's like a protege and a a mix. Let's just say like a baby of really Marco Corolla, Danny Tanaglia, and Carl Cox. That's what he is. Carl Cox taught uh, taught him uh, how to expand his his musical scope, right? Mm-hmm. Marco Corolla taught him how to play, how to actually play longer sets and cleaner sets, right? Danny T taught him about a bit more about customizing your sound and being more custom with your sets and also being a bit more into the heart and soul world of it. He lived with Danny T for a couple months here. You know what I mean? He, he toured with, with Carl Cox in Australia. He did a whole residency with Mark Corolla, a music on, you know, you have, he's the protege of all these Titans in like from historically from it. So you can't see the greatest of all time in terms of DJing, like in terms of production, all that he did. You can be a, you can be a protege and be the greatest. No, you, of course Kobe, you can. But... Kobe was a protege of Michael Jordan. He's not the greatest of all time, but I think I think it's Jordan, Kobe, and then LeBron. But I don't even think Kaepernick is Kobe status. He's not there yet. You can't. But wait, He's but a... what are you going off of? What, there, there are no stats in, in as a DJ. There's no stats. It's not about stats. It's just the the general so argument. Skills. The g- general argument. Then it would, it would still be Danny T and Carl Cox in terms of their sound. I, I like. So I'm, there's, I'm, there's a longevity. Oh, t- t- tell no, me I'm a not, DJ. Who, that's who, age. That's age. You can't say but but they, they, they've DJed equally as long as as long as they have. They, they, well, they, of they, they they're both, older, but they're the same age, and they have the almost the same accolades in their accomplishments. I'm saying Carl Cox and Danny T are, just, are older than Joseph Capriati, so. You but, can't say like, oh, they DJed longer. Of course, they no. Have. I'm saying they're the greatest of all time. The both of them. The argument should be between them two because they have the equally the same amount of accolades in their history of DJing. And yeah, I'm in not the saying Capriati's the greatest. Scene. I'm not saying he's the greatest of all time. I'm saying that when you made the comparison, like Michael Jordan, you know, he's old. LeBron, he's young. That's all I'm saying. Carl Cox, older. Joseph Capriati. Younger. Oh, that's I didn't, what, I didn't get saying. that. But I thought you were no, no, no. doing it head-to-head like that. But in terms of the athlete, no, that's no. a comparison point. But, yeah, who knows what's going to happen in the future? Really going back to the topic at hand, I mean, it's important. I, to think we're jo- I know. I, I want to go back to, to Carl Cox, but I have to say <laughs> one more thing. I think what Capriati fucked up, and I, I don't know why. I don't know what's the reasoning behind it. Maybe... I don't know. Maybe they they have some data behind behind his fans or how where his fans coming from, and they like techno more. But the hundred percent JC that he hasn't done that, that to me is it's a shame because I, to me, that's how I like him. Those are the best sets. Joseph Capriati, JC, hundred percent JC. Those are the best. He played the best. Those are the the best parties. I don't really enjoy him when he plays uh, techno. Remember we went to. Brooklyn Garage, and he was playing techno, and it, it was, I mean, I was bored. Maybe because we don't really like techno like that. that that's but, what uh, he loves, though. He loves that. You know, I mean, that's where he started, too. Drum Code really yeah, put I him know. on the map. CLR also, he released with them. He, he played <laughs> vinyl sets playing techno. He loves techno. Even but the though- way he played Jace, 100% JC, I felt that love of that. Because he likes house music, too, like old school. Remember he played in, he played Cielo with... Uh, What's his name? The Puerto Rican dude. Louis Vega. Louis Vega. Like, he's always bigging up, like, 
the old the older DJs, classic house music. He's always dropping classic house music in his sets. So I mean, yeah, he's a cappellas from classic house music. I mean, <laughs> I've seen him also DJ with Louis Vega, uh, fucking Mar- uh, not Mario Carolla, but Danny T. He's just a baby yeah, like, a influence of all that stuff. Yeah, you yeah, see yeah. what you like. I mean, it's also if you get to that startup, you have the choice what you want to play. You could play both. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like I like his party. Um, Metamorphosis or whatever it's called in Ibiza, uh, it doesn't play techno, but it kind of has that mix no? of techno and tech house. And it plays okay. both, but he knows how to do that. He knows how to mix yeah, like both, but not as good like Carl Cox, I just say. So like, really, you got to choose. Like he hosted a party, the hundred percent. You're right. He lost that, and those were some of his best parties. I think they had the biggest success as well. Mm-hmm. But I think he's trying to like now break a different boundary because once you hit a certain pinnacle with it, you're like, well, what's next? You know. Am I going to just really, like, suck the money out of this, right? And really just, like, you know, I still love what I'm playing and shit, but, like, is, where, where am I pushing the boundaries, right? That's what kind of makes him into the argument. He really will go to history books equally as the, the, the argument I was making for Carl Cox and Danny T. Mm-hmm. Because he's trying to make that mix now of techno and tech house. He always has. He always has. Like, I saw a set like that uh at sonus by him and he played perfectly mm-hmm. between the two you know what i mean and you yeah, can do yeah. that carl cox makes it so seamless it's second hand you don't even know if it's techno or tech house you obviously obviously you know but you're still vibing the same way well whether it's the yeah. two he that hasn't perfected that yet he hasn't really done that to the point where you're like oh like whatever you know it's still going you know he, like you need to I don't know I, we're gonna have to two. we're gonna have to listen to 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 some of his uh sets to see because to me, I think I know what you mean. You can't tell, like you can't tell that they switch from techno to tech house, but the transition is seamless. You can't tell with with Carl Cox because it's just a straight energy. You know, it does. There's no like, there's no really like up and down. It's just like you know, straight energetic. But I think with Capriati, he gets you. You can't really tell those transitions. The only thing you can tell is like, oh, he changed an acapella. And put another 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 beat, or you change a beat. There's a different acapella, like you can tell that. But I can never tell the difference between like maybe it depends the type of music he's playing. But some of the tracks he plays, they it can be like they're like techno and tech house together. It's not like tech house or tech. You know what I mean? Like it's so good, but it, it it's like techno, but it has a break like tech house, which is technically tech house, but. It still sounds like techno. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. Yeah, or he also knows how to manipulate the pitch and stuff like that, and make and make the tracks go together. So I mean, you know, his crates run deep, so I'm sure he's gonna eventually yeah. perfect it. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to make a choice, but just think about it. Whenever he does a solo set and it's something that's published, he plays techno, not tech house. I know. So you got to keep in mind what he's about. That's what he's. That's but what I he wonder likes. why. Is that, I guess. I guess so. Maybe we should get him on the podcast. Have a chat uh, with him, mean, see what's up. I mean, yeah, we basically made this pot about him now. No, no, you know, nah, this, gave me an idea for, this gave me an idea for other segments for, like, other podcasts. Uh, like a versus podcast where we uh, we do, like, you know, Danny T versus Marco Carolla. You, you're Danny T, I'm for Marco Carolla, you know, for example. Yeah, 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 well, that's definitely it. Or Bibby, Bibby versus uh, Lat, Lat Moon. We can do shit like that, you know? Nah, and then the playlist can be that. It's like David and Goliath, bro. It's two different things. You got to do, like, Mike Bibby versus, like, Alswa. Like, somebody equal with him. You know what wow. I mean? Wow. Like so you're really, you're really saying that 
Bibby's a Goliath and Latmo's David? They're just two different spheres. You know what I mean? Like Latman doesn't have his own uh, label. He doesn't have his own party. He doesn't have anything, right? He just publishes music and DJ. That's what he loves. Like he's not going yeah. for. I don't. He probably is shooting for that, but he's not there yet. It's not, I oh, can't so you want to go accolades. all around? You want to go? Yeah, all I mean, in terms comparison. of DJ, okay. it's also two different sounds. Latman is Business. more like more tech, techie house. Like the the mm. solid groove sound is very specific. It's very like yeah. kind of like I don't know. I'm not gonna. I mean, it's hard to eat. It's getting. It's becoming. I think it's really good. Right, but <laughs> yeah, it, it's I know like, what you're gonna say. It's, it, the, the following is becoming somewhat like the EDM, you know what I mean? It's becoming like the EDM of Tech House, yeah. uh, Solid Grooves, yeah. and I, that following it, they have bangers. And I think the DJ skill set of like Pausa, uh, Mike Bibby, and Dennis Cruz, and Dennis Cruz is the best one, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He, he really, out of all, in my opinion, is it, up there, you know, but. I personally don't really think that, you know, it's becoming like e, like EDM, you know what I mean? So it's like, it just has that following, it has no. clothing, like people wear the bucket hats, um, like the, the, they mix a lot of like vocals and like kind of like yeah, with, with with recent stuff. It kind of just like has a more bouncy sound to it. They produce very it's bouncy. It's much, yeah, I guess, yeah, maybe I'm a, like a, like a old, like grumpy motherfucker who doesn't like really like get it, but. Yeah, I guess it's more for younger crowd. I mean, that really a step below that is Sonny Federa and like what the fuck he does now, which is like trash. Mm-hmm. But that's a different story. I think yeah. Let's get zoop, hit it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cox. yeah, yeah. We kind of went. That's all right. That's all right. We give the fans uh, some chitter chatter about some other stuff. But yeah, go back to Carl Cox. So yeah, I mean, uh, really just going back. To- <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, <laughs> what I'll say is, you know, like, just for me personally, like, he really, like, even watching the documentary, that shit helped me. Like, it really inspired me. Like, it really put, like, the flame, like, under me just to say, like, holy shit. Like, he put his heart and soul into this shit. Eight years old. This guy brought his decks everywhere he went. He, he DJed for his friends on his lunch break. He didn't give up. His father was against him. You know, he said, it's not a real job to DJ, Right. Like his family, I'm sure his mom was Silly. supportive. I think I've seen you. I, I, you know, I'm not fairly sure, but uh, I'm pretty sure his mom was very supportive of him. I know his sisters were. Obviously, mm-hmm. his success. It's easy to say now. Oh, I, uh, what a great! You know, I always supported him, but he's, yeah, he's yeah. making millions, and the whole family's good. But like '96, he did have the perfect cultivation ground. Uh, to kind of get there. The UK has always been oh, yeah. a great cultivating ground to start off your DJ career. You have that support. If you're really out there, you put your hustle, you can really make it. I think that goes for anywhere, but it really has that club culture. Like the British yeah. people love this shit. They'll love it any which way. Any type of sound you like, you will find a common ground and there will be a festival. There will be a scene for it. And I think that's I think- very like, you know. Interesting. I think house music over there is like what hip hop is in America. Like it's huge. They, they're clubs. They have radio stations, house music first. They have raves, illegal raves. You know, yeah. all, all you grow up. Wants to be a house DJ. You grow up, yeah. You grow up, and you want to do. Yeah, it's very true. Everybody wants to be a house DJ. I mean, it depends where you grow up. But a lot of them, everyone, everyone. Everyone DJs there, you know what I mean? Like here, everyone smokes some weed and starts rapping. You know what I mean? A lot, like, 
I don't know how many friends thought they're going to be a rapper from me when I was growing up, you know? There's that type mm-hmm. of culture. So I really do think you could make it. You come together, you make groups. Hip-hop is more siloed, right? I think DJing is a lot more of a group mm-hmm. effort with your friends, or you could DJ with your friends, or you throw parties, and you become, like, if you really stay committed to it, and that kind of goes to show the consistency, the discipline, what he wanted to do. He loved this shit. He, he like he, he studied the music. He, he, he lived and breathed this shit, you know? Yeah. And that's what really makes yeah. you cut through to all your friends, right? So there's like it's rappers and like you gotta really live and breathe this shit and don't let the lifestyle take you over. And so people lose track of that. And he never stopped that, which is like amazing. Where it got him to where he is, mm-hmm. twenty seven, twenty eight, even back in the day with such a push behind it, he, he blew up. You know what I mean? He became the household name that he is now. Mm-hmm. When it comes to um, you know, house music. Or just, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. I'll call it house music, right? Just as a generality. But, you know, yeah, an important thing, uh, like, what's curious to me is as much as, like, he's a great DJ and, like, he has made a lot of remixes to this day, why he only has four albums released? I really wonder about that. Like, or, like, he really only has four, like, official albums that are out there. Uh, four or five, but I'm pretty sure it's a very low number. Those are, yeah, those are albums, though. I, I think he came up at a time where, you know, they made albums and it's not like today. He also came up at a time where they were selling CDs and you know records. Now today it's Spotify and down, digital downloads. So you got to put music out there. You have to put a lot more music out there because the game is different for yourself as a DJ. And people get tired of a, a song after like two weeks or something. So it's just all about pumping out music, pumping out music nowadays. But. Uh, but like he'll he'll make a remix or two, like I just mentioned, right? He will make yeah. remixes, reworks, edits, and he'll release that. That doesn't he didn't like, but he hasn't made like an EP or an LP or anything. He hasn't released anything like formally to be like his. Or like he didn't do like old school back in the day. DJs, DJs would record their DJ sets and then publish that. You know what I mean? That's very popular. Mm-hmm. Like he he really hasn't re- created a end to end like piece of work in the studio. I know. Um, and that kind of is Maybe the tune he... of... It's a lot of DJs do that. A lot of veteran DJs really stop that completely. Marco Carolla, Danny Tanaglia. Yeah, they, they, don't, um, they don't produce. Richie yeah. Halton, I mean, he, he did he did do a lot of production, but like the end-to-end production of an album, completely gone. Like, he literally just... All these veteran DJs stopped, and they just stopped giving a shit about it. Why do you, why do you think that is? Do you think they're afraid... To put something that's gar- something that's not going to hit, like it's going to be garbage, or are they just used to getting that DJ gig money and they're like ah, because there's no re- there's no money in making a track anyway. So are that's they scared great. that it might be a flop or there's no money in it? I think Maybe both. I don't think I don't think I don't think they're scared. Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. But I think when it comes to like production, right, they produce a certain way. They want to release a certain piece of like work they created and it won't go in line with what people expect from them, you know? So they'll say it sucks. Mm-hmm. So maybe they tried mm-hmm. release the track or two and it was like the way that they wanted to produce a track and they went super hard. They put their heart and soul into it. And then like people were just like, well, I'm used to play you playing high energy. Why did you make a, or like, for example, he made a remix of Jaguar. That's one of my favorite remixes of that, of that track. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I like that a lot, but let's just say generally people will say that shit sucked. I like the original. You mm-hmm. don't play like this. Why is it so slow? Why is the BPM yeah. so low on this? Well, I didn't expect that from you. Like even Capriati's album, like I heard it, I listened to it. The one that came out, I think 
during the pandemic or right before. I thought it was, I didn't think it was that good at all, but I'm also not a fan mm-hmm. of that sound, you know. So it doesn't go in yeah. line with what you expect for them, right? Like even example you said, oh, I like JC 100%, right? I listen to the album, it's all techno. You say, oh, this shit sucks, you know? Mm-hmm. It's very mm-hmm. subjective. So I think the yeah. subjectivity that comes with producing or releasing music kind of came into play here. And like a lot of these veterans, you just said, fuck it. Like, what am I doing? And they, they post pictures in the, in the studio and shit. I'm just like, what are you doing there? Doing like edits? <laughs> yeah. Like for, for, for your DJ sets? Like, you know? Like you know, well, the thing you know what's fucked up is that people can't because oh, it's a business, right? Getting, you know, they have to sell tickets to get to get, you know, they have to get sell tickets to make money, to get people in the room. And if let's say, for example, Carcass releases something that doesn't sound like how he plays, people can't separate the music from the live set. So if they hear Wax song or you know subjectively they think it's like it sucks they might not want to go to his party because they think he's going to play that style of music so it, it could too. possibly be like a, a business a business decision too because i've heard i think i think on a will clock podcast i heard many times that a lot of djs are afraid to release something that that they make just because they love it because they're afraid they're gonna lose ticket sales or lose bookings because they, that song didn't you know, wasn't hot. Um, but, you know, that goes into the business, which kind of sucks. But I think it's up to people to remove, like, what the DJ producer produced from what they're going to play, you know, when they're out. So, I don't know. I, I Yeah, but then, then again, they, these guys have their own brands, right? And the brand will trump the release, right? Yeah. So you could take those risks and you don't. That's what I'm wondering. Why, why yeah. don't you take those risks? Because music on Marco Corolla, right? Um, you have uh, well, he has Intech Records, the Pure Party. That's a whole brand that comes. He Carl Cox is just mm-hmm. the brand, right? Capriati, yeah. the DJ name is just the brand, and whatever party they throw under that brand, it's not going to lose its mm-hmm. fame and fortune, you know. Yeah. That comes with it because you had Jamie a shitty Jones, release. Good example. Sorry, sorry. Well, Jamie no, 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 no. He is. He is. No, he he he's actually the one that walks against the grain. Like he releases, yeah, but his releases like are bangers. But he also produces the way that. Yeah, but they're different. You know that they they're different, but they kind of go in line with what 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 he's about. With his you know style. I mean? yeah, yeah, like Martinez Brothers, same shit, right? Their name is the brand. They just started the residency, <laughs> and they release shit ton of music. A lot of the stuff stuff are um, edits, right? So they release them on SoundCloud. You can't make money off of it, but it's just shit you do in the studio. I think they're real talented yeah. in, in the studio, you know, but they play kind of in tune with what they, they play it in their sets and, and it's fire and people hear it and like, Oh, what can I find that? What can I hear it? You know, there's so many tracks mm-hmm. from Danny T that I wish I could have, but I know he made them himself or they were edits. Perfect example, love and happiness, you know? So then also why the fuck do you date gatekeep? That's another argument, you know, but Carl Cox mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily do either. And that's what I'm wondering about him. Like, why do you not do either? But, you know, maybe he doesn't have time to produce either. You know, it's a time-consuming thing, and you know, you're touring twenty-four-seven. Or, but a lot of these guys take off time. Maybe they want to break from the music. But also, it's been maybe. so long, and your career, you don't really produce. Maybe you just love DJing <laughs> you more. Say, yeah, maybe. Like, I mean, like going back to what you said about being a DJ, DJ, and he's a DJ, DJ. 
I, I mean, I don't know his story if he started producing because he had to or because he really wanted to. But a lot of a lot of these guys that start as DJs, they only produce because they have to to get gigs. Like if it was up to me, like I love, you know, I have all these. You know how uh, this is how I'm gonna explain this. You know how somebody that has voices in their head that's like crazy. I don't know if it's, I don't know what 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 uh, mental illness it is, but someone that has voices in their head all the schizophrenia. time. Schizophrenia. Well, that's well, schizophrenia. Okay. Well, I always I have. I always have sounds in my head, like all the time, like it drives me nuts. So I got to get it out. So I think I love making music because of that, you know, and I do have fun making it. That's why I'm going to finally master it because taking this course, but I I think I'd be happy just being a DJ, like for the rest of my life and not having, not producing music. I could maybe play around to have fun, but I would, I just, I love, I love, love, love playing music. And just DJing, but you you have to produce if you want to be anything in this industry. I'd like to do it on my own free will, you know, like kind of make my own edits, things that I like to hear. I have a lot of things that I love to sample, and I'd love to make a track out of it. Mm-hmm. I already have an idea for it, and I always had, you know. So I feel you. DJing is more fun. It's more interactive. Production is a very lonely thing to do, uh, mm-hmm. but they also have mm-hmm. all the means, all the best. You have analog equipment, you have digital equipment, you have things that you collected over the years. You have so much ways to make the music. The DJs who still use analog, you know, to this day, analog mm-hmm. sounds, uh, how to produce their music. Uh, but also, yeah, I guess what kind of goes to this, what we spoke about are your productions with the times. There's so many yeah. productions released on a weekly basis. Are your productions with the times? Are you used to producing analog and you make, you know, you love heart and soul? There's no really market for that unless you're a veteran, you know, raver or a geriatric raver, how they say. But is there really a market for that? Will people be happy? Like, example, Danny T, he released um, that track on Nervous Records, right? He told, he said what, that Brooklyn he took Gypsy? Him, yeah, Brooklyn Gypsy. It took him 20 years uh, to make yeah. it. 20 years to make yeah, it. He wanted that. to perfect it that hard. But you know what came with Danny T, though? And that song, is, I think it's a masterpiece. That's my personal opinion, though. I think it's a masterpiece. Okay, I, think, I mean, I think just the, the piano chords, the, just the, the, if you know him as a DJ, the bass line is so, like, him to the T, and it's just, like, it's really, I think, a masterpiece of a track. But that's what you expect from him. You know, you're like, damn, this is, this is exactly fucking Danny T right here. Would well, that be the same song. for Carl Kyle? Like, well, like to the T, I think that it was really like mastered and produced amazing. Mm-hmm. But that's my opinion. Obviously, you could tell I'm a huge fan of Danny T. So, yeah. you know, that's yeah, why. I know. I'm... This is not even the Danny T episode. Are you? Uh, don't worry. So that, that'd be another five hour <laughs> pod right there. But I listen, I think if Carl Cox. So, two things. The one we're saying, like, if he produces a song in the style he loves, it might be a flop with today's, you know, kids. And he's talented. He can produce today's type of sound, but he probably doesn't want to do that. You know, that's why he doesn't do it. So it's like, do I produce something that's going to flop? Do I produce something that I'm not even interested in? So I'm not going to fucking produce at all. So, I mean, it's it's easier to remix a track or edit one because it's already – 
the tune and the melody of the track is already stuck in people's heads and maybe it's a hit or they like it, people, it's easier to release a remix of a track and give your mm -hmm. kind of ideology or your creation behind it, what you would do from the original, right? It's easier mm -hmm. to kind of uh, keep your producing, like kind of hand in it and do it that way. And that's why he's produced so many tracks. I mean, I produced so many remixes over the years versus creating his own like studio album, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, remixes were big money back then, like in the 90s. Well, I'm talking about now, though. I'm talking about like, you know, oh, now, 2010 now. until 2022. I'm saying that he he has a lot of remixes. I mean, he did a, he did a few off 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 like, the top of my mind uh, with for Capriati. Oh, okay. Um, he did he those remixed Beltram. He probably doing those on like just on uh, out of love, like on the strength, you know. Like, well, yeah, that's true too. That. But also, if you're like you know, if you if and what, that's that's also safe. Because, you see, I think that's safe because it's not kind of like you're just putting your spin on it. So if it if it doesn't hit with the people, it's like, it's not the original. I just put my spin on it. But if you don't like it, fine. But if you produce something from your heart, right, your sound, and it flops. Yeah. Oh, I got to suck. <laughs> you know, you got to say like that, uh. And he's a brand, bro. You can't you can't ruin that brand now, you know? That's like now, if Coca-Cola comes out with some fucking whack product. It ruins a brand. And nah, well, no, I, I don't think it would. Nobody's going to say, damn, this this track fucking sucks. I'm not going to go another Carl Cox show. Unless you're like a new fan. Never know. It, it, well, what's his market? What, the young kids? No. It's people like between yeah, but, 25 yeah, to, to, to plus. Young twenty five. You go to a party, Carl Cox is all ages there, especially at the festivals. Young young people go to listen to. Him. I don't think like a flop said, album brand, will be Carl that. Cox. It's not like a rock band Yo. that's gonna that's, that's touring their album. <laughs> think about it, right? Let's it's get, a DJ who brings his sound. Yeah, let's get him on the fucking podcast, bro. You know, let's we'll tweet this. No, no, we'll, we'll send this to his Instagram. If we if if we get that reach for sure, I mean we'll see. I think we should ask him why he doesn't produce anymore. Or if he does, why doesn't he release? I'm sure this guy has you know crazy crates of like productions, but he's really looking like, into. Who the, who the fuck he's is only that? who the fuck is Aubrey Albright Albright? Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Aubrey. It, it's not fantastic. <laughs> not fantastic. But well, yeah, that was a I good mean, podcast, man. You know, let's not. We don't have to. We don't have to drag it on. You know, I think that was good. We did fifty-two minutes. It's uh, we took a stab at the spotlight for the first one. I think it's gonna keep getting better and better. And and we we're going to fucking do the house music style of verses too. We're going to bring it on to open. Yeah. Time. Any, any feedback is appreciated. I mean, this is just the first yeah. crack at it. I think it's success. Uh, you know, just wait for the Danny T episode. That's going to be at least three hours. <laughs> All right, bro. Stay on the line so we can, uh, do this post mortem, but yo, we'll see everybody.